Welcome to the Disciple Dare, a four-week series to challenge you to discover what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. More info on the Disciple Dare can be found at ViennaSDA.org. Pastor Jennifer Deans shows you through stories from the Bible how living the dare will give you hope in troubled times and joy in life. In this message, War of the Worlds, Caught in the Crossfire. It was one of those beautiful days. Job was just sitting there out on his porch and the wind was blowing and the the breeze was just rustling the curtains and everything was good. Life was perfect. Um, He had everything a man could want. He had all the respect from his neighbors, from the town. He was one of the wealthiest men in the entire area. He had ten children. I mean, if you, if you wanted it, Job had it. He had land. He had animals. He had fields. He had houses. Job was doing good. Well, today, much like every other day, Job got up very early in the morning, and as he, it was his custom, he went and he spent some time with God. And one of Job's favorite ways of doing this was he would take a walk, and as he was walking, he would just kind of talk. He had developed a friendship with God, and he would just talk, and they would converse, and they would, Job just felt that he connected with God out in nature. Well, after Job had finished his walk, he was, he was on the porch having some lemonade when something strange happened. All of a sudden, somebody comes running, and they're running, Job, you won't believe it, you can't, I can't, I don't even know what happened. Calm down. It's okay. No, I, just, I don't even. I don't know what. Oh, but calm down. I was out there. We were we were taking care of the we were taking care of the donkeys and the camels, and we were there. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, the Sabaeans came and they they took them and they killed everybody and they killed the guy next to me. And I fell down with him, and his blood got on me, and so they thought I was dead too. And then after they left, I came in to tell you. What happened? They killed everybody and they took all your donkeys and they took your camels. As soon as the guy said that, in runs another person. They're like, I've never seen anything so strange in my life. We were out there with the sheep. We were herding sheep. And all of a sudden, fire from heaven comes pouring down and it burns up all of the sheep. What are you talking about? I don't know, but luckily I had gone to get some water and I was further away. Everybody else got burned up. What? They're all gone? Everybody, I'm the only one that made it. Then another one comes. Right on his heels. They, they're all gone. Every single one of them is gone. I'm the only one that made it. All of your camels, all of your donkeys, all of your sheep. soon as he's done talking, another one comes. Job, I, I, I've never seen anything like it in my life. Your oldest son, you know, his birthday was last week and they were having a party. And, and I was there 
you know, because he, I worked for him, and we were, I was, I, got, I went out to get some water, and this huge whirlwind comes, and it, it seemed to grow in size as it neared the house, and it got so large that it totally encompassed the house, and Job, I tell you, in less than three seconds, the thing was gone, and everybody was gone, nobody, I couldn't, I couldn't find anything, they're all gone, I'm the only one who made it out alive. a pretty rough day for Job. Now, if you, have you ever had one of those days where it seems like minute after minute it just goes from bad to worse and from worse to even worser and then, you know, it keeps going down this scale and it, you just... Have you ever had one of those days? Why? Why do we have those days? What, you know, what, what's going on? Is, are we being punished? Is that what's happening? Did we do something wrong? So in other words, I deserve it when my car breaks down and I lose my job and my husband cheats on me or, you know, is that what it is? I've done something wrong? No. Just so you know, Kevin didn't cheat on me. Uh. <laughs> You know, turn with me, and one of the things that's very important, every one of you should have a Bible. If you, don't, if you didn't bring one, there's Bibles in the back, and I want you to get one. Um, it's so important for you to look things up for yourself and not to take anybody's word for it. So turn with me to Job chapter 31. And for those of you who are getting the Bibles that we're handing out, that is on page 432. Job chapter 31, verse 6. I want to read something with you. Job 31, verse 6. Job looks at God and he says, Let God weigh me on the scales of justice, for he knows my integrity. If I have strayed from his path or in my heart have lusted with my eyes, um, with what my eyes have seen, or if I'm guilty of any other sin, then let someone eat the crops that I have planted. Let all that I have planted be uprooted. Job, Job's friends, after this whole ordeal has happened, Job's friends come and they sit down and they tell Job, it's your fault, by the way, because you did something bad. And so God is punishing you. And until you figure out what bad thing you did to ask forgiveness for, he's going to keep punishing you. And so Job is beginning to buy into this. And he's like, God, it's what, well, I, I've been racking my brain and I can't figure out what it is. What have I done wrong? So you guys know the story of Job. What was going on behind the scenes? If we back up to Job chapter 1, we get a very interesting picture. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1 verse 6 starts like this. One day the members of the heavenly courts came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. All right, you get this picture? God is having a council meeting with all of his rulers from all the different areas that he has created. And so Satan, because he has now ownership of the world, he goes up as his rightful heir and he walks before God and God says, Hey, Satan, I kicked you out of heaven. What are you doing here? And he says, Well, my job, I've been walking to and fro on the earth. God looks at him and says, okay, 
Have you seen my servant Job? He is an upright and righteous man who fears God and has integrity. He is blameless. And Satan says, yeah, I've seen him. Everybody's seen him. Everybody knows Job. And why wouldn't he love you, God? You have blessed him with everything he could ask for. You never let harm come his way. Why wouldn't he love you? You know what? God, if you take that away, he'll curse you to your face. God says, no, he won't. Try it. Go ahead. Do what you want. Take everything away from Job. And so the story I just told happened. Satan goes down and he wipes Job out. Within a 15-minute window, Job gets four messengers that come and tell him that everything important in his life, all his wealth and his family, has been taken away from him. And his wife comes up to him and says, what's your problem? His friends are like, what's your problem? And so Job curses God, right? No. In Job chapter 1, verse 21, it's, this is Job's response. I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. That's what you are inclined to say after you've had a day like Job's, right? That's certainly not what I'm inclined to say, but that's what Job said. And so Satan marches right back up to God, and in the council meeting with God, Satan says, um, yeah. And God's like, so, have you seen my servant Job? And he's like, yeah, but it's not fair. You know, people can handle losing their stuff. You didn't let me touch him. Now, if you let me touch him, he'll curse you to your face. God says, okay. No, he won't. Go ahead, try it. Just don't kill him. And so we know the story. Job is inflicted with boils. And his friends come and tell him for 40 chapters why it's his fault. Because he did something wrong. I'm here today to tell you that there's something much bigger than you and I going on in this universe. It's much bigger than Job. It's much bigger than any of us. It's much bigger than our jobs and our families and our wants and our dreams. There is a supernatural realm that in it exists God and it exists Satan. And there is something far greater than Job or you and I. And we have to remember that sometimes when the bad things happen in our lives, it has absolutely nothing to do with us and everything to do with the big picture. So what is this picture? How did sin enter the world? Why is it that Satan is so intent on proving that he can make Job curse God? What's his deal? It helps if we understand who Satan is a little bit. So if you'll turn with me to Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 28. For those with these Bibles, it's page 690, Ezekiel chapter 28. And we're going to read verses 12 through 15. Ezekiel 28 And here the king of Tyre 
is a symbol for Satan. And so this is a description of who Lucifer was before the fall. It says, you were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. You were in the garden of God, and your clothing was adorned with every precious stone, red carnelian, pale green peridot, white moonstone, blue-green beryl, onyx, green jasper, blue lapis, turquoise, and emerald, all beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest gold. They were given to you on the day you were created. I anointed, I ordained you and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God, and you walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until evil was found in you. Verse 17 says, Your heart was full of pride because of your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor, so I threw you to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. We get a picture here of Satan. Satan was beautiful. He was gorgeous. He was stunning. He had the highest position in heaven aside from God. And he was perfect. The Bible says that God created Lucifer perfect. Absolutely perfect. God didn't create sin. God created perfection. And because of Lucifer's beauty, he began to think, you know, I really am all that and a bag of chips. And I really deserve a little bit more. I really, I mean, I I deserve it, right? I'm, I'm that good. I have the highest position in heaven. I really deserve it. Let's look at Isaiah 14, 12. Let's see what he was saying. Isaiah 14, verse 12. Isaiah 14, 12, which is 562 in your Bibles. 14, 12. It says... How you have fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. Listen to this. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the Most High. Satan previously known as Lucifer, was created perfect. But his position and his beauty and his talents got in the way. Just think of what it would have been like in heaven. I want you guys to notice something. Think of what it would have been like. What do you guys do when somebody does a really good job for something? We often tell him that. Hey, that was awesome. Good job. Great. Way to go. If Satan, if Lucifer in heaven was this talented and this beautiful of a person, how often do you think people were saying, man, you sang that song to God. That was awesome. I just, wow, I didn't know that you could sing in like six-part harmony. That's really cool. Oh, I just... I mean, the way that those jewels bounce off of God's light when you walk in the room is just breathtaking. And as he was walking around, it began to go to his head. He began to believe 
that he deserved all of that. And so he wanted to be like God. Everybody was praising him like God, so now I want to be like God, okay? And so he wanted what Jesus got. Jesus got to sit in all the throne room. He got to sit in all the secret councils and to create worlds. Why shouldn't I do that? Turn with me to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. Sorry. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. It says, it's page 1015. 1015. Revelation 12, verse 7. It says, Then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle. And he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, the one deceiving the world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. So think about this. What has to happen before a war can take place? There's got to be two sides, right? Okay, so how quickly do you think God threw Satan out of heaven? Was it the moment that he started having these inclinations? No, we don't, the Bible doesn't tell us how long Satan was there, but he was there long enough that if you look up a few verses to Revelation, 14, uh, Revelation 12, verse 4, it says, His tail swept one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth. Um, this is talking about the dragon, which we later realize down here is Satan. And if you read earlier in Revelation, it talks about the stars being angels. And so Satan is so crafty and so cunning that his tail, who he is, is able to convince a third of the heavenly host to side against God. And he basically is going around saying, God doesn't love you. He's holding out on you. He's not letting you create stuff like he's letting Jesus do. He doesn't love you. And so God let this go on long enough. He let Satan wander around heaven talking to other people. And Satan can use lies and deception and flattery. And the only thing God can use is truth and righteousness. And so as Satan is spreading lies, he is infecting heaven. Heaven has a disease called sin. And finally, it breaks out into a war. A a revolt happens. Satan is trying to make a stand. He is trying to have his throne above God's throne. And God just won't have that. And so Satan and his angels are thrown out of heaven. Why did God throw him out of heaven? Why didn't he just zap them out of existence? Would have made our lives a whole lot easier, wouldn't it? We have to understand a little bit about who God is. Turn with me to 1 John um, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, and that's 1004. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. It tells us a little bit about who, John, or who God is. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. 
Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So first of all, it tells us that God is love. And in James 2, it tells us that we are going to be held accountable to God's laws of love and of righteousness. When Jesus is talking to a crowd of people, the Pharisees come up and tell him, they ask him, okay, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And so Jesus says, the greatest commandment is obviously, and he picks one, right? No, he sums them up in Mark chapter 12. He says, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. What, what comes out in all of this? What is the common theme running through these verses? Everything that God is is about love and about choice and about freedom. And if God had zapped Satan out of existence simply because he, he disagreed with him, Satan would have appeared to be right. Would anybody have ever questioned God again? If the moment you question God's, there you go, and you're out. You know, I like to explain it this way. Kevin and I are dating, and my dad finds out that I really like Kevin. And so he goes, gets his shotgun, and he goes over to Kevin's house, and he puts it on Kevin's back and says, you better go ask my daughter to marry you. Do it now. And Kevin's like, okay, yes, sir. And so my dad marches with Kevin over to where I am, all the while holding a shotgun. And he says, now ask her. And Kevin's like, get down on one knee. And so he gets down on one knee, and he says, oh, will you marry me? Um. (laughs) You know, even if I decided to marry him after something like that, I would have always been questioning him back in my mind. Does he really love me, even though he says it? Or is he just scared that my dad's going to come back with a shotgun? God desires a relationship. He wants us to be part of him. And he knew that if he had zapped Satan, and if he had zapped sin out at the beginning, at the onset, that's all we would have known. That's all anybody in the entire universe, the angels and any other beings he created, would have known. If you cross God, that's it. So he had to, in his love, allow Satan to fully display who he was and to fully show the world how evil he was. And so he comes down to earth and he's given one spot, he's given one place, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And at the tree, he convinces Adam and Eve. Don't trust God, he's holding out on you. The same line he was using in heaven, he then uses... At the wor- in the world, and Adam and Eve succumb. And it gives Satan rulership and full reign over the world. And so this is where we find Job. Job isn't going through all of this because he's done something wrong. In fact, it's the contrary. He's done everything right, and Satan can't stand the fact that somebody could actually love and trust God, especially in the hard times. And so Satan is pouring it on as thick as God will let him. But I want you guys to know something. God still was in control, even with Job. 
God didn't let him hurt Job until he said he could. And I want you guys to know something. That Job, you know, he, he was a righteous man. But even he had some troubles. After a while, after about 40 days of your friends telling you it's your fault and you better think of something to ask for forgiveness for, Job started feeling like, okay. And so he asked God. And turn with me to Job chapter 38. That's 437. Job chapter 38. Chapter 38, 39, 40, 41 is God responding back to Job. And I'm just going to read a few random verses here. Job chapter 38, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, Who is this that questions my wisdom? With such ignorant words, brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you. You must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations, and who laid its cornerstone? As the morning star sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy, who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb, as I clothed it with the clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness? And God goes on and on to ask Joseph, where were you when I created the animals? Who allows people to take breath? Who allows... The world to function the way it is. And he asked Job question after question after question after question. And finally, in Job chapter 40, Job gets the point. Job chapter 40, then Job replies to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about. Things far too wonderful for me. After God lets go on Job, Job gets it. He says, I'm part of something much bigger than me. Something that I don't know everything about. And I want to let you guys know tonight that we're all part of something so much bigger than we are. But in 1 Corinthians 10, 13... It tells us that God will never allow anything to happen to us that we can't handle with his help. It promises us that. So if we trust God, we can, like Job, go through the really hard times in life and remember that it's not necessarily punishment for something I did wrong. It might just be Satan is trying to prove to the rest of the world that he can get me to turn my back on God. And you know what? It's not just the rest of the world watching it's all of the heavens and the heavenly realms. Turn with me to Ephesians. These verses, when I first discovered them, really surprised me. Ephesians chapter 3, that's page 953. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Okay. It says, God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety, to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan that he carried out through Jesus Christ our Lord. So first it tells us in Ephesians that it's God's plan to use his church started with Jesus 
to testify to all the unseen world, to, see, to the angels and any other beings that God could have created, that God is loving, that God is just, and that what Satan said was untrue and unfair. So that when God comes back a second time, he will be justified in wiping sin out and Satan out for eternity. And no one can ever question if it was a loving and just thing to do. Paul tells us a very similar thing in 1 Corinthians. He says, you know, I feel like us apostles are on display like prisoners at the end of a war through all the universe. So I want to tell you today that God is calling you to be like Job and trust him. You're part of something so much bigger than you realize. Hebrews tells us that God will never leave us or forsake us. Jeremiah tells us that not only will God not leave us, but that God is drawing us to him with an unfailing love. And he wants us to know that. And you know something? We know how it turns out. God has won this war. We know he defeated Satan. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. 1021. So Revelation 21 verse 11. It's the last book of the Bible. Revelation 21 verses 11. Verse 11. Um, Start in verse 10. So he took me in spirit to the great high mountain. He showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper as clear as crystal. The city's wall was broad and high. This is talking about John sees the great city of God coming down and replacing sin. Look in Revelation 20, verse 10 just over a little bit earlier. It says, The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophets. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. We know that ultimately, Lucifer, who became Satan, who got all of us into this mess, is going to be thrown into a lake of fire. And God's going to come down. And right now, we have a decision to make. Are we going to be a disciple of Jesus? Because there's really only two sides to any war. You can't be in the middle. There's really two sides, and we're in the middle of a war. It's called the great controversy, and it's between good and evil. We can either choose to be on Satan's side, and he's lost. He lost the battle. We're just having the final skirmishes. Or we can choose to be on God's side. That's what this series is called. It's called The Disciple Dare. It's a dare to take a step of faith and be a disciple of God. And a disciple is simply someone who wants to be like the master. So if you want to be on God's side, you need to want to be like him. And so the challenge tonight, and you see at the back of your things, there's a dare. And the dares are three things. And each one of you has some envelopes inside your binder. And I want you to respond if you accept these dares. The first dare is a dare to believe God is empathetic, loving, and fair. Even though Satan is trying to say God doesn't care, will you take the dare, to, even if you can't explain life like Job, 
to accept that God is loving and fair? Do you accept the dare to believe that God has won the battle and that God will support you through times of trouble in your life? God won. If we look at the end of Job's story, he gets twice his wealth back. He gets his family back. And his friends apologize. We may not get vindication in this life from some of the stuff that's happened, but God promises us in the end we trust him that he will be there with us. You've been listening to The Disciple Dare from Pastor Jennifer Deans. We hope this message encouraged you as you learn to follow in Jesus' footsteps. If you'd like to learn more about how you can take the dare, drop by ViennaSDA.org. There you'll find resources to get connected to others like yourself and to help in your spiritual journey.